This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Unexpected Changes to Our Plans. In the first half, Jack and Gerard shares his address, Could We Have Supposed? Then in the second half, Patricia Ravert speaks on persistence, patience, and posies. My dear brothers and sisters, I am grateful for the opportunity to speak to you today. During this moment of pause, when we seek the calming influence of the Lord, I encourage you to take some quiet time to reflect deeply on how you hear Him. I hope my message today may be of assistance as you pursue your education, but will also have broader application during these challenging times. I must admit I had never been on this campus until my oldest son expressed an interest in playing lacrosse here some years ago. I was very impressed on my first visit and now proudly declare that five of eight children are graduates and number six is close. In looking back, I would never have imagined what this experience would do to shape their lives and build a Christ-centered foundation to prepare for the world in which we live. Thanks to all of you who make this possible. When I received this assignment, I wondered what practical counsel I could share that may be of value to each of you. My mind raced back to my early adult years when I struggled to get through school. It was during this time that I met Sister Gerard. We were working in Washington, D.C., where we spent 38 years of our lives. We completed our courtship from introduction to marriage in seven short months and felt strong spiritual promptings to move our lives forward. When we commenced our lives together, we committed to each other to make the gospel of Jesus Christ and its attendant responsibilities our top priority. We immediately started our family, and I worked full-time while attending school at night. Six straight years in night school— allowed me to complete an undergraduate and law degree. By the time we were finished, we were expecting our third child, had taught early morning seminary, had served in a bishopric, and quite frankly, we were exhausted. It was during this time that we received an anonymous letter, I assume from a well-intentioned individual, that criticized our approach to life and suggested that we were making serious mistakes by working hard, trying to complete school, having a family, and serving in the Church. The writer indicated that our priorities were all wrong. This was a particularly vulnerable time for us because we had very few resources and no real ability to relieve the pressure unless we ignored the impressions we had felt, adjusted our commitments, and gave up on our priorities. But even more troubling was the realization that someone near to us was so observant and critical. Today, you may not receive an anonymous letter. That's more for my generation. But your equivalent experience may be a public social media post, while not specifically sent just to you, makes you feel that it is directed at you. While we experienced moments of joy in our journey, the anonymous letter contributed to our anxious moments when we questioned ourselves and the decisions we had made and wondered how we were ever going to make it through, perhaps not dissimilar to feelings you have experienced on occasion. 
As difficult as it was for our young family, we now look back in humble amazement, as we could never have imagined how all this was possible. While in the crucible of the moment, our path was not always clear. We were not certain that our efforts would pay off. We wondered aloud if it was all worth it. Every day seemed to be an act of faith as we tried to stay true to our commitment while wading through the murky waters of life. Now that the experience is over, we reflect on those days fondly and can see the hand of the Lord guiding us every step of the way. Our experience reminded me of the words of Ammon following his challenging missionary service with Alma and the sons of Mosiah. The scriptures record the circumstances which attended them in their journeyings. They had many afflictions. They did suffer much, both in body and in mind. On occasion, they were depressed and about to turn back. Yet at the end of his trying service, Ammon reflects back and rhetorically asks, quote, How great reason have we to rejoice! For could we have supposed when we started that God would have granted unto us such great blessings? I repeat, for could we have supposed when we started that God would have granted unto us such great blessings? Ammon's words suggest when he commenced his service, he could not fully foresee the outcome or even the blessings of the Lord while he labored. In fact, his words imply that he may have viewed his experience entirely differently if he could have supposed from the outset what the final blessings would be. Like Ammon, each of us may find it difficult to suppose exactly what great blessings the Lord has in store for us. In my early years growing up in a very small Idaho farming community and rising at five every morning to milk cows, I could not have supposed that I would be standing here today. When I took my first jet airplane flight to the mission field, I could not have supposed that in addition to the joy of serving others, my mission experience would teach me the requisite skills to excel in school and the workplace. I could not have supposed that a simple college internship would ultimately lead to career opportunities running significant organizations, representing some of the most powerful business leaders in the world. Through all my years of church service, I could never have supposed that I would be called by a prophet of God to set my worldly interest aside and serve the Lord full-time. Much like Ammon, as I look back today, I could not have supposed when we started that God would have granted us such great blessings. While we learned many lessons during our years of schooling, we have often reflected on exactly what made it possible for us to persevere, to keep going, and have confidence during challenging times? What was it that allowed us to withstand the anonymous criticism from those who saw life differently and that kept us true to our commitment to live the gospel of Jesus Christ? While each of us will have varied experiences throughout our lives, Sister Gerard and I came to know that our willingness to trust in the Lord and heed His counsel, even when we did not see clearly, resulted in blessings beyond anything we could ever suppose. 
President Alan H. Oaks taught, quote, There are few things in life more important than knowing your place in mortality and your potential in eternity, end quote. When Sister Gerard and I started out, our shared aspiration and hope for our family was to achieve the greatest of all the gifts of God, the gift of eternal life. From that time forward, we intentionally sought to heed his counsel, believing he would bless us beyond our ability to comprehend. Every significant decision we made was measured against the standard of eternal life. When we could not see clearly, when we could not suppose, even after repeated petitions to the Lord, we would ask ourselves, which choice was more compatible with the covenant path, leading to our hope for eternal life? We anchored ourselves to the hope of eternal life because we needed a clear beacon to pursue, particularly when day-to-day choices were ambiguous and at times even confusing. In addition, a clear objective inoculated us against the gradual slide to relativism, where many begin to measure their conduct against that of others, no longer seeking to do the will of the Lord, but settling for just doing something better than someone else. We also learn to trust in the Lord and have confidence in our choices, even when our mortal minds were occasionally confused. President Harold B. Lee said, quote, When we understand more than we know with our minds— When we understand with our hearts, then we know that the Spirit of the Lord is working upon us. Our pursuit of eternal life requires us to elevate our understanding beyond the knowledge of our mortal minds. Paul captured this principle in his first epistle to the Corinthians I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them. That love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man except he has the Spirit of God. Quote. Later in 1 Corinthians, Paul vividly describes what we often experience in our mortal life. Quote, For now we see through a glass darkly. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Paul reminds us that in mortality, as we see through a glass darkly, we only see in part. Our vision is often limited to our mortal understanding as a reflection of what we see in the glass. As Ammon might have said, it is difficult to suppose. President James E. Faust said, quote, Often we do not have even a glimpse of our potential for happiness and accomplishment in this life and in eternity because we see through a glass darkly. In the original Greek, darkly means obscurely, puzzling, or tough to figure out. Our daily walk through life can seem puzzling or tough to figure out. We face decisions every day that define who we are. Yet, like looking through glass darkly, we are left to choose based on our limited knowledge or experience gained in mortality. Many of these decisions may seem quite routine, 
but others are life-altering. Regardless of how routine or how significant, every decision is a choice that can move us either closer to or away from our ultimate destination. You are at a time in your life when you are establishing patterns in what principles will govern your decision-making process. Elder Robert D. Hales once described this as the decade of decisions. Does your pattern reflect exercising faith, seeking to know His will, trusting the Lord, heeding His counsel, and keeping the commandments, even when you cannot suppose what lies ahead? What guides you as you deal with more significant decisions, such as what your course of study will be, or whom you will seek for eternal companionship, or whether you choose to put off such significant decisions, reasoning with our mortal minds that other matters take priority. As we search the scriptures and liken them unto ourselves, we can learn from the experiences of those who have gone before. Adam, Nephi, Sariah, Joseph Smith, and many others all had moments when they felt it was unclear what they should do. They, too, may not have supposed exactly why or how they were to overcome obstacles in their lives. But each example shows that while they did not know, they followed the Lord's commandments and trusted the Lord even when their mortal minds may have suggested otherwise. I am always inspired when I read the account of Adam in the book of Moses. Adam and Eve had children and took care of the necessities of life by tilling the land and tending their flocks. The scriptures record that the Lord gave unto them commandments, that they should worship the Lord their God and should offer the firstlings of their flocks for an offering unto the Lord. And Adam was obedient unto the commandments of the Lord. And after many days an angel of the Lord appeared unto Adam, saying, Why dost thou offer sacrifices unto the Lord? And Adam said unto him, I know not, save the Lord commanded me. Here we find Adam, who had conversed with God, responding to the angel that he knew not why he offered sacrifice, save the Lord commanded him to do so. Nevertheless, Adam hearkened to the voice of the Lord and remained faithful in keeping the commandments even when he knew not why. Could Adam have supposed the significance of his obedience or the purpose of offering sacrifices prior to the angel's instruction? Yet he acted in faith, and the angel taught him, and in that day the Holy Ghost fell upon him. Another offside example is Nephi. We are all familiar with the efforts to secure the plates of Laban. After two failed attempts, Nephi records, He was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which he should do. But how many of us remember a few chapters later, when Nephi was commanded to make two sets of plates? Quote, Wherefore the Lord hath commanded me to make these plates for a purpose in him, which purpose I know not. End quote. While Nephi did not know the purpose of the second set of plates, the small plates, Today we understand that much of what he recorded was used to replace the loss of 116 pages of manuscript translated from the first part of the Book of Mormon, the Book of Lehi. 
Elder Kimby Clark explained, quote, Without Lehi's record, which was lost with 116 pages, there would be no account of Lehi's family, the journey to the promised land, or the origins of the Nephites and the Lamanites. In May of 1829, the Lord revealed to Joseph a plan, centuries in the making, to replace the book of Lehi with what we now know as the small plates of Nephi, end quote. Do you think Nephi could have supposed over 2,000 years ago that the second small set of plates would preserve the family record now read and recounted by millions who have come to a knowledge of the truth through the conversion power of the Book of Mormon? While we often point to Nephi and his father Lehi, I would invite you to consider Nephi's mother, Sariah. It is significant that Sariah did all they did, but she didn't have the benefit of the visions of her husband or of her son. We are all more like her than we are Lehi and Nephi. Most of us will not have the direct visions and hear the voice of the Lord or see angels. Neither did she. But she was faithful and heeded the Lord's commandments to leave her comfortable life and home in Jerusalem and head out into the wilderness to a place she had never seen, on a path she had never traveled, with only the confirmation of the Spirit that somewhere out there the Lord would guide them to the promised land and promise life that would be better than anything she could imagine. After feeling great anguish, feeling that her sons may have perished in their efforts to secure the plates, upon their return, the scriptures recount, quote, She spake, saying, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness. Yea, and I also know of a surety that the Lord hath protected my sons and delivered them out of the hands of Laban and given them power whereby they could accomplish the thing which the Lord hath commanded them, end quote. She obeyed, and God was true to his promise, even though she didn't see that for many years and after much tribulation. Sariah is but one example of many strong women in ancient times and now who clearly must have felt and understood the promise revealed to us in our day that I, the Lord, am bound when ye do what I say. Yet another example in our dispensation is the young prophet Joseph Smith. As we commemorate the bicentennial of the Restoration, beginning with the first vision, we can look to his experience and learn from his example. What did Joseph really know as he began his quest to understand his relationship to God and to seek answers to his prayers? The record recounts that after reading in the book of James, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Joseph reflected on this powerful passage again and again, knowing that if any person needed wisdom from God, he did. For how to act, he did not know. But he trusted the Bible's promise to ask in faith, nothing wavering. Do you think that young Joseph supposed beforehand what would occur in the sacred grove? Do you think that young Joseph had any idea that his seemingly simple act of faith would open the heavens to commence his foreordained role 
to begin restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this dispensation? Do you think the saints who endured unspeakable adversity crossing the plains could have supposed that their sacrifice would lead to temples dotting the earth, or that one day over 16 million church members would be invited by a living prophet to assist in the gathering of Israel on both sides of the veil? Do you think that we can suppose today what the next many years of our lives may bring and what great blessings God will grant unto us? These scriptural accounts give us insight and hope. They help us understand that we are not alone, but in many ways our walk in life is very similar to that of the noble and great ones who preceded us. They too walked by faith. They too did not always know how to accomplish what the Lord commanded. However, we see a pattern emerge in each example. They exercised faith, demonstrated a deep trust in the Lord by heeding His counsel, and kept the commandments even when they did not know, and He blessed them beyond anything they could suppose. Each of us will have moments when the pressures of this life seem to cloud our ability to see clearly. The world will test our resolve to heed the counsel of the Lord and live the commandments. We sometimes begin to despair and start to convince ourselves that our challenges are so unusual that no one has ever gone through them before. We may even slip into self-pity, which makes us vulnerable to the enticings of the adversary, who desires that we become miserable like unto him. We wonder if we'll ever get a decent job and be able to provide. We fret over relationships. We worry that we are not yet in a secure position to provide for a family. So we rationalize delaying eternal life choices. We feel the intense pressures of the world to abandon the Savior as merely a foolish and a vain hope. We may even go so far as to feel that the Lord has forgotten us and we are all alone. But just like those who have gone before, each of us will have moments when life's pressure will force us to turn for help. One of the great tests in life is how we respond in those moments. Robert D. Hales asked, quote, Won't all of us sometime have reason to ask, O God, where art thou? End quote. During the prophet Joseph's imprisonment in the Liberty Jail, when he cried out, the Lord reminded him that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. Therefore, Hold on thy way, fear not what man can do, for God shall be with you forever and ever. During these moments of despairs when we feel all is lost, we are reminded to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and to lean not unto thine own understanding. Be not wise in thine own eyes. The pattern is to trust in the Lord in moments when we do not understand. We cannot suppose or we see through glass darkly. Just like Adam, Nephi, Sariah, Joseph, and many others, we should turn first to the Lord. This is not always easy as our natural man instincts take us to our mortal understanding. 
We often shift from trust in the Lord and put trust in the arm of the flesh. This is a natural tendency that we have been cautioned against. Nephi described the cunning plan of the evil one to include the vainness, frailties, and foolishness of men. When they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsel of God, for they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. But to be abundantly clear, Nephi continues, But to be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsels of God. President Russell M. Nelson in the April 2018 General Conference said, quote, In coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost, end quote. Lest we feel these experiences are for another time or another people, in closing, I would like to share a recent personal experience that illustrates the principles shared today. It occurred just a few months ago while on a state conference assignment in Spokane, Washington. Prior to our Saturday afternoon meetings, the state president and I made a ministering visit to the Pulver family. The Pulvers were identified from a long list of names submitted by the bishops and high counselors. The state president did not know them well but felt a strong spiritual impression that we should visit. We arrived at the home and sat down with Brother Pulver, who considered himself less active and had not been to the temple since his mission 19 years earlier. Sister Pulver was working, and he was tending the children. Brother Pulver was gracious, but wondered why we decided to call on his family. As we started to visit, I asked where they grew up. Brother Pulver indicated his wife was from the small town of Farron, Utah. I responded that I was in Farron just ten months earlier on assignment and started to recount a sacred experience I had with a faithful sister during a home visit. Brother Pulver blurted out, You were the one. It turned out the faithful sister I visited in Farron was Sister Pulver's mother, Brother Pulver's mother-in-law. Brother Pulver gave me permission to share excerpts from his journal where he recorded the details of our visit that day. Quote, After I mentioned Farron, Elder Gerard lit up saying he had been to Farron. It was at that moment everything connected for me, and I knew why he was at my home. When Genevieve, Sister Pulver's mother, was hours before passing away, Elder Gerard visited her. As he explained his story, the Holy Spirit entered my home to a degree I have never encountered before. The feeling was so nearly palpable, and it testified of the Lord's hand in our meeting. End quote. It turns out that I was one of the last to visit Sister Pulver's mother, Genevieve, before her passing. When we arrived at their home in Farron, she was lying on the sofa in a semi-conscious state. Sister Pulver's father, a very faithful man, indicated that she had very little time with us. We sat at the small kitchen table and quietly visited as we could hear her strained breathing in the adjoining room. As we prepared to leave, 
Sister Pulver's father asked if we would give his wife a blessing. As we placed hands on her head, the Spirit of the Lord filled the room. It was a very sacred moment for us as the veil of eternity was parted for a brief moment. She passed a few hours later. As I shared the details of the final hours of his mother-in-law's life, it became clear there was more to the story. Again, reading from Brother Pulver's journal, quote, About a year earlier, Genevieve, Sister Pulver's mother, was spending the holidays with us. She came into my bedroom and had a conversation with only me at that time. She asked my opinion on what to do with the continuation of her cancer treatment. I asked her what she wanted to do, and she told me she wanted to be done. She asked me then to take care of her daughter and grandkids. Then she did not ask. She told me, quote, You take this family to the temple. End quote. As we concluded the visit to their home, the Pulvers agreed to attend the Saturday evening session of state conference that night for the first time in many years. Furthermore, they committed to fulfill the request of Sister Pulver's mother to take the family to the temple. I am pleased to report when I visit with the Pulvers just last week when they authorized me to share parts of the journal, they indicated Brother Pulver had recently attended the temple and Sister Pulver is finishing the temple preparation lessons to receive her own endowment in the next few weeks. Quoting again from Brother Pulver's journal, quote, The Lord had the foresight to first assign Elder Gerard to the state conference in the Farron area. Then he was sent to the Spokane Valley East Stake just a little over a year after I had a conversation with Genevieve. I have no doubt Genevieve had influence in this event. I do not believe this was a chance of coincidence. This would not have happened if the Lord had not intervened. The Lord's faithful disciples followed His promptings exactly as He wanted. It wasn't just the events of this meeting that makes it miraculous. The feeling of extreme power and extreme peace is what made this encounter life-changing and something I will never forget. The gospel of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is true, it's real, and it is wonderful. End quote. My dear brothers and sisters, I would have never supposed that my time with Grandma Genevieve, just prior to her passing, was in preparation to meet her daughter and family a few months later, in fulfillment of her final request to make sure they received the blessings of the temple. I knew not what the Lord had planned, but as I exercised faith, put my trust in the Lord, heeded His counsel, even when I could not suppose, I am again witness to the great blessings He grants to His children. As we continue life's journey, I would encourage you now during your schooling years and throughout your life to always place your trust in the Lord, to heed His counsel, and even when the path is not clear, to know the great blessings He will grant unto you. 
And while we often cannot suppose in our daily lives precisely what great blessings we will receive, the day will come when we will look back just as Ammon did and declare, For could we have supposed when we started that this journey we call mortality would lead us to the greatest blessing of all, even the gift of eternal life, to live as families in the presence of our Heavenly Father and our elder brother, Jesus Christ. I bear witness that they live, that God, our eternal Father, is the Father of our spirits, and that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior and Redeemer of all mankind. And in this commemoration year, let us follow the Prophet Joseph Smith's example and turn to the Lord, knowing with confidence that we can hear Him. May we lift our sights to eternity and learn to listen is my humble invitation and prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Unexpected Changes to Our Plans. We've just heard from Jack N. Gerard. After the break, we'll return with Patricia Ravert for Persistence, Patience, and Posies. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is unexpected changes to our plans. Next is Patricia Ravert, Associate Dean of the BYU College of Nursing at the time of this address, titled Persistence, Patience, and Posies. I'm not sure which is scarier, giving this talk or being the dean in the College of Nursing. Right now, it's giving this talk, I think. And thank you, my brothers and sisters and honored guests and my dear children and family and you wonderful students for coming today. It really is an honor to speak here today. We all have individual plans for our lives. Some of your plans may be very detailed, and others may only be a brief outline. What I do know is that part of your plan is coming to BYU for your education. My plan also included BYU for my undergraduate education. My father was not a member of the Church, but he was very supportive of education. He would often help us with science projects or a variety of our homework, particularly math. He was really good at math. My mother, she was a member of our Church, and each week she took us to Sunday meetings and made sure we had rides to our weekly youth meetings which at that time was primary for the children and mutual for the teenagers. From my teachers in these Church programs, I learned the basic gospel principles. As a teenager, I also learned about BYU. When the time came, I applied to the colleges in my hometown of San Diego, California, as well as BYU. My plan included the study of medical laboratory science so I could work as a technologist in a hospital setting. My plan was pretty set in stone, I thought. I actually had that in my high school yearbook, that I was going to go to BYU and I was going to be a medical technologist. I do not know where this desire to be a medical technologist stemmed from. My father was a pharmacist, so there was a bit of medical profession influence in my home. 
but I did not know anyone who worked as a medical technologist. When I came to BYU, I began my classes for the medical science laboratory major. There were several semesters of chemistry required, and soon I learned that I did not really love chemistry as much as a medical laboratory science major should. It was then that I realized that my plan would need to be changed. I visited many colleges on campus and explored a variety of majors. Many were of interest to me. Each week, I wrote home to my parents. This was long before cell phones and email and texting, and so they were written letters, and each letter contained a different idea regarding a possible major every week. So I'm not sure what my parents were telling people of what I was studying, because I didn't know what I was studying either. Well, the situation reminds me of a poem by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then the last stanza reads, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one last traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I did not know which road to take when I finished my freshman year. I returned home to San Diego, discouraged because I had not settled on a major. Near the end of the summer, I received a letter with a BYU return address. It was an acceptance letter from the College of Nursing for the fall semester. In my search for a major, I had visited the College of Nursing, but I didn't realize I had applied. (laughs) In today's world, I can assure you that that would not happen. (laughs) But what an opportunity this was for me. My plan was changing. After consulting with my parents, I decided to change my major to nursing. This change in my plan has had life-altering effects for 40 years. I've been a nurse for more than 38 years. Now, don't start counting how old, but yes, a long time. And I've done a variety of things. I've enjoyed the profession of nursing, and I've thoroughly enjoyed my time here at BYU. I'm anxious to begin serving in a new role as the Dean of the College of Nursing. And I'm sure after I finish this, that will cause more anxiety than um, this does right now. But I know that I can be of service, and I'm greatly appreciative of the opportunity to do so. Well, another part of my plan is always to enjoy the beauty of the world, particularly flowers. I enjoy flowers in many ways. Posies, which is a small bouquet of flowers, and gardens, as well as artwork such as paintings and sculptures of flowers. The BYU campus has outstanding floral displays throughout the year. When I walk across campus, I often stop and admire the flowers. Wherever I am, wherever I travel, I strive to take advantage of the opportunities to visit gardens, take pictures, and admire God's creations. I have particular special feelings for some flowers. Daffodils in the spring remind me of renewing of life and new beginnings. They have always been a favorite of mine. When I was a young woman in Mutual, we earned felt seals or emblems to mark our progress in the program. There may be a few people that remember that. 
The felt seals were sewn onto blue bandolos or sashes which we wore every week. I created a felt daffodil to add to my bandolo to remind me of renewal and new beginnings. Two flowers remind me of my mother, purple pansies and poinsettias. My mother sang the primary song, Little Purple Pansies, to us and often had pansies in her garden. Her birthday was in December, and whenever I see poinsettias, I am reminded of her. Clematis flowers grow on climbing vines that twist and curl around supporting structures to anchor the plant as it climbs. I took this picture in France, not far from Giverny, where the French Impressionist painter Claude Monet lived and maintained beautiful gardens. The clematis vines were thick with gorgeous blossoms and covered the building. A few years ago, I searched for a home to purchase, and one of my requirements was a nice yard with flower beds. That year, I closed on a home in November and was excited to find two clematis vines in the backyard. I thought the plan would include two gorgeous vines on either side of the back steps the next spring and summer. The plant on the left has many blossoms, but the right vine has not done well. Some of the leaves have died, yet it is persistent and occasionally has a few small blossoms. They're purple. They're a little different color than the others. Excuse me. I am sure when the previous owner planted these vines, the plan was to have full, beautiful vines on each side of the steps. There has been a bump in this plan. Most of our plans have bumps along the way. Your plan may include an education program which, because of limited resources, cannot admit all applicants. Your bump may be that you are not able to get in, or you may have to apply more than once. Maybe you will find some of your courses especially challenging. This is when persistence and patience will be particularly helpful. Persistence is a stick-to-it attitude even when things are difficult. Consistent individual actions show persistence. As you practice persistence, such as daily studying for that challenging course or completing the task to reapply to a program, your daily persistence develops into the characteristics of perseverance. Elder Joseph B. Worthen spoke regarding persistence and perseverance. Perseverance means to continue in a given course until we have reached a goal or objective regardless of obstacles, opposition, and other counter-influences. Perseverance is a positive, active characteristic. It is not idly, passively waiting and hoping for some good thing to happen. Perseverance is vital to success in any endeavor, whether spiritual or temporal, large or small, public or personal, think seriously of how important perseverance or lack of it has been in your own endeavors, such as church callings, schooling, or employment. I believe that essentially all significant achievement results largely from perseverance. Perseverance is essential to us learning and living. Sometimes perseverance is needed for the short term, completing a difficult assignment or a course, 
At the time, it may feel overwhelming, yet with patience and sincere efforts, we are able to complete the goal. Sometimes we need to be persistent and persevere over a long period of time, maybe over a lifetime. A woman I know—I will call her Suzanne—has persisted daily in a very different plan than she ever imagined as a young woman. She has an optimistic and positive attitude, finding joys in the ups and downs of life. She completed her degree in nursing, married, and began her family, which eventually included three daughters. As the second daughter began to grow, Suzanne realized that she was not developing normally. After a period of time, the child was diagnosed with a form of autism, which severely affected her social and communication skills. The plan for Susan's family was altered. A few years later, she delivered her third daughter, who eventually was also diagnosed with autism. Susan's husband was a supportive, involved father, and together they altered their plan and knew that they could handle this challenge. When the girls were 11, 13, and 18, their father unexpectedly passed away from a heart attack while out on his daily run. Again, Suzanne's plan was greatly altered. She continues to find joy as she has realized that life does not have to be perfect to be wonderful. She is persistent and will continue to persevere over her lifetime. We are often admonished to endure to the end, as in Matthew 24:13, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And Doctrine and Covenants 50 verse 5 Blessed are they who are faithful and endure, for they shall inherit eternal life. For many years I struggled with the word endure because to the end seemed so far off and overwhelming. I came to realize what I really needed was persistence as I worked on my daily to do list. In the last General Young Women meeting, President Montsard offered this suggestion. Seek heavenly guidance one day at a time. Life by the yard is hard, but by the end, it's a cinch. Each of us can be true for just one day, then one more and one more after that, until we've lived a lifetime guided by the Spirit, a lifetime close to the Lord, a lifetime of good deeds and righteousness. As we strive to live our lives by the inch, We must examine the contents of our daily to-do list. We all want to be successful, but continuing to focus on the wrong to-do items puts us on the wrong plan or road and will only slow our progress. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote, We all want progress, but if you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive. If life is not what you would like, this is where the concepts of the fifth chapter of Alma come into play. It is the personal inventory chapter. Let's review verses 14 through 16. And now, behold, I ask of you, my brethren of the Church, have ye spiritually been born of God? Have you received His image in your countenances? Have you experienced this mighty change in your hearts? 
Do ye exercise faith in the redemption of him who created you? Do you look forward with an eye of faith and view this mortal body raised in immortality and this corruption raised in incorruption to stand before God to be judged according to the deeds which have been done in the mortal body? I say unto you, Can you imagine to yourselves that ye hear the voice of the Lord saying unto you in that day, Come unto me, ye blessed, for behold, your works have been the works of righteousness upon the face of the earth. So I ask myself, and I ask all of us, are the right things on our to-do list? Are we focusing on the tasks which will have the outcomes we desire so our behavior is an example of who we desire to be? Do the expressions on our faces show that we have His image on our countenances? If we need to make changes, President Ufdorf reminded us that it is much easier to make minor course corrections along the way. But if we are way off course, there is a way back. President Ufdorf said, No matter how terribly off course you are, no matter how far you have strayed, the way back is certain and clear. Come and learn of the Father. Offer up a sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Have faith and believe in the cleansing power of the infinite Atonement of Jesus the Christ. I urge you to strive to stay focused on a plan which is in line with the basic gospel principles. The gospel principles sound so simple. We know them from primary and Sunday school. Read and study the scriptures and conference talks. Consistently pray. Obey the commandments. Attend and be actively engaged in church meetings and callings. Keep your covenants. Attend the temple. The gospel principles are foundational to happiness in our individual plans. Elder M. Russell Ballard said, The Church is the mooring in this temptuous sea, an anchor in the churning waters of change and division, and a beacon to those who value and seek righteousness. The Lord uses this Church as a tool in pulling His children throughout the world toward the protection of His gospel. Another important thing to remember is to not allow your enthusiasm to be stifled by the discouragement that will inevitably come to you. As we are persistent and persevere in living the gospel principles, we also must trust Heavenly Father and His timing. We don't always know His plan for us. We must be patient and continue in faith to understand. President Ufdor spoke of patience and related. Brigham Young taught that when something came up which he could not comprehend fully, he would pray to the Lord, Give me patience to wait until I can understand it for myself. And then Brigham would continue to pray until he could comprehend it. We must learn that in the Lord's plan, our understanding comes line upon line, precept upon precept. In short, knowledge and understanding come at the price of patience. The principles of persistence and patience have served me well in my life. After I changed my major to nursing, I first obtained an associate degree and then continued on and completed my bachelor's degree in my early married life. I had a goal to return to school for a master's degree. 
When I had five children, I began the Nursing Administration Master's Program at BYU. I took one class a semester. I had people that would say, how can you take one class a semester? You may never finish. Well, I knew that if I continued, I would. I was persistent and patient, and after five years, finished this degree. Twenty-five years after beginning my college education at BYU, I again returned to school, this time at the university to the north, you know, University of Utah, to earn a doctorate degree. My plan has been different than many others, but with persistence and patience and faith, I have enjoyed the journey, the hard times, and especially the easy and rewarding times. Back to the posy. The clematis vines in my backyard. Even with persistence and patience, the one has not prospered. I have added fertilizer and water. It has not flourished. But I still have enjoyed the few flowers it has produced. The one vine is not perfect, but is still wonderful in its own way. I urge you to be persistent and persevere and exercise the patience to find your plan and reach your goals. I have a testimony of the truthfulness of the gospel. I know that Joseph Smith served as the Lord's instrument to restore the true gospel to the earth. The Book of Mormon is the word of God and contains the gospel principles that if we follow, we will be led back to Heavenly Father. I am very grateful for Jesus Christ, who is my Redeemer and my Savior. I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Unexpected Changes to Our Plans, with thoughts from Jack and Gerard and Patricia Ravert. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.